Welcome to Christ Church Conway's podcast. We hope that the resources you find here are used by the Spirit to strengthen you in your faith through the study of Scripture and theology. Now, if you have a Bible, turn with me, if you would, uh, to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul's letter to the the church in Ephesus. We're looking at chapter 2. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 10. This morning, we're going to take up verses 11 through 22. We're kind of taking this in, in a little bit bigger chunks as we work our way through this incredible letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy and inspired and authoritative word. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Most gracious Father, would you add your blessing by your Spirit to this reading of your word? Indeed, would you strengthen me now to proclaim the glories of the gospel with clarity that we all may have our eyes by your spirit fixed on Christ our Savior and so may be strengthened. And I preach only in his power. In Christ's name, amen. My suspicion is that none of us have to think real hard about a time that we have felt like we didn't belong, like we were strangers someplace or, or, or aliens or excluded. In fact, most of us, uh, at least right now in the time that we are living in, probably feel this way uh, pretty much every day. And if we find ourselves not feeling that way, we can turn on the television or get on social media and we can muster that feeling right back up real quick. Because one side will tell us we don't belong for this reason. The other side will tell us we don't belong for that reason. The middle will tell us we don't belong for these reasons. And we ourselves will tell us we don't belong because we we don't feel like we measure up. And we struggle to find the answer to all of this in this world. 
And the reason we struggle to find the answer to all of this in this world is because this world doesn't actually have an answer to offer to any of this. In a class I'm taking, I had to watch a video about a phenomenon called the imposter syndrome. You may be familiar with this. I watched this video, and the imposter syndrome is basically this this reality that people struggle with of feeling like even when they're in a situation where they belong, where where, you know they've done the work to get there, they they feel like they don't belong. They feel like they're an imposter and they're gonna be found out. And so I watched this video and, and I was excited about it because I can identify with that. Even standing in the pulpit, I feel like a, a fraud most Sundays. And, and, and so I was like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. And I watched this video and it, and it told me about how people like Maya Angelou and, and Albert Einstein felt like frauds. In fact, it said, everybody feels like an imposter. You're not alone. And it had all these cute, clever graphics of of people feeling, you know, like they were nothing. And somebody saying, I feel like I'm nothing too. And then they got happy together. (laughs) And being my normal, kind of eternally optimistic, sunny disposition self, I was like, that's amazing. But then I was like, wait a minute. What if they're all actually imposters? What if none of us actually belong? Being told that all of y'all feel like imposters also, that actually doesn't help at all. Being told that none of us feel like we belong here, that, that doesn't solve the problem, does it? It doesn't. Paul was writing to these Christians in Ephesus who who were being made to feel like they didn't belong. Not in this world, but in the church. Now, some of us indeed have felt that even over the last 18 months. Because of thoughts we've had or or things that we think might be right. Some of us have, have made other people feel that way because of thoughts we've had or things that we think may be right. The Jews had a way of of making Gentiles feel that way in the first century. This is addressed a number of times in Paul's letters. It's it's a central idea of what's going on in in the book of Romans. He he wrote this letter to to the Romans because uh, there had been uh, a a political issue that that caused the Jews to be kind of kicked out of Rome and they had been in charge of the church and so they get kicked out. Well, now the Gentiles are in charge and the Jews come back and now the Gentiles are in charge, but the Jews are like, well, wait a minute, we're the ones. And so there's all this tension and they're, they're fighting with each other. In the church in Corinth, poor people were made to feel like they didn't have a place in the church. In Galatia, people that, that, that didn't buy into to all of the ongoing laws were made to feel like they were less than. Peter himself at one point refused to eat with uncircumcised Gentiles. Something was going on in Ephesus where there was some division and people were made to feel. Though they believed in Jesus, though though He was their salvation, though He was their peace, though He was their hope, 
they were made to feel like they didn't belong. And so Paul writes to address this. Because while the world actually can offer no answer to our imposter syndrome, while the world can can offer no answer to our feeling like we don't belong, the gospel can. And in fact, does. And so the structure of this passage is very much like the passage we looked at last week. Paul begins with this idea of who they were, what Christ has done, and now who they are in Christ, just like we saw last week. And he begins by reminding them, yes, you're correct, Gentiles. At one time, you didn't belong. Now, that's not typically how we think of starting a word of encouragement. But here's why this is the best way to start a word of encouragement. Because it's honest. He's not telling them like, oh, no, it's going to be okay. You belong here because of something that they know good and well isn't true about them. He's telling them, no, you're right. There was a time when you didn't belong. This is the first thing that he tells them to remember. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So he's he's making this Jew-Gentile distinction. Remember, and then he tells them five things to remember about themselves. You were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't part of the nation. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. That They had nothing to offer you. You had no hope. And you were without God in the world. He tells them those things were in fact true of you. And you need to remember that. Just like last week, he started with similarly encouraging words. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh. Goes on to tell them that they were rightly objects of God's wrath. Again, why is Paul starting with... with Such non-encouraging words if he's wanting to encourage the Ephesians in the gospel. Because Paul understands that the gospel speaks such a word of truth that it actually does answer the problem that we face. It actually does answer the problem of our sin before God. It actually does answer the problem of us being outside the people of God, separated from God himself, having no hope, aliens to the kingdom of God. And so Paul feels complete freedom to not gloss over those realities. Because see, when we understand where we actually stand before God on our own, it's only then that we begin to get the sweetness of the gospel. It's only then that we begin to, that, that we begin to get the wonder of God's grace. It's only when we understand that, no, I, I was separated from him. I had no right to come before him. 
I did not truly. It wasn't just imposter syndrome. I truly, you truly did not belong in his kingdom. See, we can't explain this imposter syndrome away saying, well, well, everybody feels that way. And it's going to be okay. Because this isn't an imposter syndrome. This is an honest confession. This is an honest statement about where we are without Christ. And Paul wants the Ephesians to remember that. So he gives them these five words of encouragement, but then there's something else that he wants them to remember. Last week he began the good news with but God. Now he begins, but now. Remember, at that time, you were these things, but now something is different. You were alienated, you were strangers, but now you do belong, he tells them. But now, in Christ Jesus. And that, as we've seen each week going through the book of Ephesians, that is the key. Jesus, kids, is the cornerstone. Uh, if, If you can't say that, if you can't say in Christ Jesus, then you can't say any of the rest of the things that Paul is going to say to the Ephesians. It's only because they are in Christ Jesus that any of the rest of this verse is true. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, here's the thing. When we come to church, when we gather with believers, we we are very well aware, as we've sung in hymns this morning, we are very well aware of our sin. And we are very prone because of our failures, because of our long history of failing, but because of our profound need for redemption, we are very prone to feeling like, I don't belong here. These people are holy and love Jesus and say their prayers and read their three chapters every day and and can recite long passages of the Bible. I, I don't belong here. There's two problems with that line of thought. One, we are way overestimating each other's holiness. Way overestimating. But two, we're missing what the grounds of our or their belonging actually is. And that's what Paul is writing to tell them. See, our belonging has nothing to do with I said my prayers every day or I read my three chapters or I've memorized large swaths of scripture or short ones. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with the blood of Jesus Christ bringing me near. That and that alone is why I am not an imposter in the household of God. That and that alone is why you 
dear Christian, are not an imposter in the household of God. It has nothing to do with your performance. It has nothing to do with anything that you can point to in you. It has nothing to do with any fruit that you might or might not be bearing. It has everything to do with the blood of Jesus Christ spilt for your sins by His blood. We who were in fact far off, we who at one time in fact didn't belong, have been brought near. You're not an imposter. But you're not an imposter, not because of anything by which you've proven yourself to not be an imposter. You're not an imposter because the blood of Christ declares that you belong. That your sins are forgiven. That's why we do the order of worship that we do every week. We we essentially follow this pattern. Yes, you were this. Yes, you continue to sin. Yes, that's a problem. But here's the good news. And we confess our sin. And and myself or or Rob or or, or whoever's leading the liturgy that week stands up and says, in the name of Christ, Your sins are forgiven. You belong. We're declaring you are not an imposter. Why? For he himself, that is Christ, he is our peace. That's so vital for us to understand. My peace, our peace, doesn't come from anything about us. I I don't have peace. You don't have peace. We we don't have peace because we've performed a certain way or, or because we've borne out certain fruit in our lives. We have peace because of Jesus. That's it. Nothing else. No one else. He is our peace. How? Because he's the one, Paul goes on to say, that has broken down the hostility. Now, in the next few verses, we see that that in Paul's mind, in this gospel, there is both a, a horizontal reality between the Jews and the Gentiles and a vertical reality between the people of God and God himself. He he made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There was real hostility, real tension between the Jews and the Gentiles in every church where they sought to coexist. There was very real tension. It was very easy for for Jews who had the the oracles of God and all of this to make Gentiles feel like they didn't belong. They had been raised with this stuff. They, They knew the Torah. They knew how to talk about it. They knew the lingo. They knew how to use it if they wanted to. To make people feel less than. Now we do the same thing. 
Sometimes on purpose, to our shame, sometimes on accident. We grow up in the church, we, we know the theology, we know the lingo, we, we know the stories, and, and, and we can talk to people that may be new to the faith or, or don't understand those things in a way that they know. Maybe this isn't their place. And when we do that, we're missing the gospel entirely. Because we're missing that it's not us knowing our theology or having the stories or or being able to have intelligent conversations about any of this stuff that counts for anything. It's Christ who has destroyed these walls of hostility that we build up between each other. And he's done this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. He's done this by fulfilling the law for us so that it is not our law keeping that counts for anything for our inclusion. It's not our sacrifices that count for anything for our inclusion. It's not our Sabbath keeping that counts for anything for our inclusion. It's not our tithing that counts for anything for our inclusion. It's not any of that. It's not any of the law whatsoever that counts for anything for our inclusion. But we love the law. We hate the law also. I get the tension. But we love having those things, these tangible things that we can point to that prove we belong. And so what we do is we create new laws by which we build ourselves up and exclude other people. We, We make decisions that, well, if you don't respond to the pandemic in this way, then you don't trust God. Well, if you don't respond in this way, then you don't love people. And what happens? It rips the church directly apart. Doesn't take long at all. We destroy each other. We, we, we make rules. If, if you don't respond to, to, to ethnic tensions in this way, then this. Well, if you don't respond this way, then that. We make all kinds of political statements. If you don't vote and think this way, I don't see how in the world you could rightly call yourself a Christian because you have no moral backbone whatsoever. Well, if you don't vote and think this way, I don't see how in the world you could call yourself a Christian because you don't love anybody. Jesus died to tear down, to destroy, to shatter the wall of hostility that divides us. He is our peace. He is our identity. He is the cornerstone. He is the one in whom we have life and hope and salvation and redemption. He is the one who unites all things in Himself. He He, He is the one. Nothing else. Nothing else. The Ephesians needed to be reminded of that. Because they needed to be reminded that they belong, that they're not imposters. 
because of what Jesus had done and no other reason. We need to be reminded of that because we need to be reminded that we belong, that we're not imposters in the household of God because of what Jesus has done. And we also need to be reminded that these other people, whoever they are for you, whoever the they is, that they belong, that they're not imposters because of what Jesus Christ has done. And in fact, we are one body with them. We're one body with them. Because of what Christ has done. Because what Paul tells us is that what the blood of Christ has done, what his death did, was made peace between warring factions. How? Because it undercut everything on which we try to stand except for him. There's nothing else supporting any of us before God but Christ himself. And so it undoes this horizontal hostility when we start to really grasp the gospel. But there's this vertical piece as well. Not only has he made peace between these warring factions who now rightly see themselves as washed clean and established only by the blood of Christ, but also, he says, he has reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross. Here's the hard thing for us to swallow. Whoever it is, that we're looking at going, I don't know how they could consider themselves a Christian and X, Y, Z, fill it in however you need to for you. They, with you, and by the same means, have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ if they are united to him by faith. Here's what we need to hear about that. Two things. One, they too are reconciled. Two, by the same means. They didn't need more blood than we did. They weren't more unreconciled than we were. Christ had to die to reconcile me just like he did to reconcile them. That's the point Paul is subtly making to his Jewish readers in this passage. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. He's saying, Ephesians, take comfort. You've been reconciled through the cross. Jews, pay attention. You've been reconciled through the cross as well. There is no other way. That's why the hostility has been been done away with. Because no longer 
Can I come to you in whatever failure you might find yourself in? No longer can you come to me in whatever failure I might find myself in and say anything other than our only hope, our, capital O, you are our only hope is the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's it. I stand, you stand, we all stand on the same ground, the same foundation, the same hope, the same one is our peace. The same blood has washed us clean. And no matter how clean I think I was, my bath didn't require less than anybody else's. But it was effective. And I have been reconciled to God. And I can now, as we just saying, come boldly to the throne of grace because of it. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Again, this reminder that no, the way in, the way to be brought near... Is through Jesus Christ, through, through what He came and preached. That is through His life and death and resurrection, through His blood. For through Him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Do you see what Paul is doing? He's taking anything that anyone in the Ephesian church or our church or any church in the world, he's taking anything that we might try to stand on to think that we have access. And he's saying, if that's not Jesus, it won't get you there. The sacrifices, the law keeping, the new laws that we make and keep or act like we keep, none of it gets you there. Only Jesus Christ. So then, here's his conclusion. You are no longer strangers and aliens. See, he's offered us a real solution to the imposter syndrome. He didn't just say, hey, look around the church. Look to your left. They're an imposter. Look to your right. They're an imposter. Now, everybody smile. No. He said, look to your left. Jesus brought them near. Look to your right. Jesus brought them near. Look to yourself. Jesus brought you near. You are not a stranger and an alien in the kingdom of God if by faith you have been united to Jesus Christ. You belong before the very throne of the Father. The Holy of Holies is your dwelling place with God forever. Forever. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. Fellow citizens with the saints. Members of the household of God. Fully included. Nothing withheld. 
no rights or privileges that belong to the children of God withheld from you at all. They're yours because of what Christ has done. That's our doctrine of adoption. That there's this act of God's free grace whereby we receive all the rights and privileges that belong to the children of God. We have been brought in. We are fully included. We are members of his house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, that's the preaching of the word, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Kids, just like we looked at this picture earlier and and there was this stone that determined the direction and angle and position of all of the other walls of that building that was being built. What Paul is telling us here is that Jesus is the one who determines everything about us. He's the one that has been set in place and everything is defined in terms of Him. And it's either rightly oriented to Him through, by grace, through faith, and therefore part of the house, or it's not oriented to Him and therefore not part of the house. But He's saying to all of us who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, all of us who have looked to Him in faith, no matter how much we may feel like we're wrongly oriented and not part of the house, we are. We are. He's the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, here's where the building metaphor kind of falls apart. As you build, you need all of your building materials to be right when you use them. If if you build a wall and and this stud is six inches shorter than the rest, it's not going to like grow into the right length over time. If you keep building with with imperfect materials, your building's going to collapse. But when Jesus is the cornerstone, here's kind of in part what we're being told. You may be a perfectly round rock that's being put in a wall that needs square blocks, and God will solve that problem. He's not saying, get it all together. Make sure you've got your life together in such a way that you match up real nice to the cornerstone. Then you can be, no, he's saying, I'm putting you in the wall, I'm putting you around Jesus, and I'm going to build this thing up into a holy temple. All the parts will grow, being joined together into a temple in the Lord. There's two pictures that we need to see here. One, he's not demanding that all the parts be perfect before they're used. And two, he's, un- he's helping us understand that as he adds more and more and more, the building gets bigger and bigger and more glorious. Because it's all built around the cornerstone. And it's all growing together. We're tempted to see the growth just as more being added on and forget that our sanctification is part of that growth. But then look what he says next. In him, that is Christ, 
you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All of a sudden, we start to realize something. It's not that we're being invited into this temple that's being built. It's that we are the temple itself. There's no place like there was in the Old Testament where you can go and say, oh, here's where the presence of God dwells. Here's the the outer court. Here's the inner court. Here's the, the holy place. And here, the holy of holies, the Ark of the Covenant, right there on the cherubim, on the mercy seat, there's the presence of God. That's where it dwells. No, now what we do is we say, here is the people of God. Here is the church. This is where God dwells. This is his home. And you and me and corporately in us. That's what we're being built into. That's what Christ is doing in you and me individually and in us corporately. He's building us into the very temple of God. When they rebuilt the temple, the second temple, we don't have a story in the Old Testament like we do when they built the tabernacle and the first temple where the presence of God descends on the most holy place. That didn't happen again. Because that wasn't where His presence was going to be found anymore. His presence was going to be found with us, His people. That's why Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll build it again in three days. Because in three days, he laid the cornerstone of himself around which all of us are being built into the very dwelling place of God. We're not imposters. We belong in Christ. And therefore, God belongs in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you that because of something entirely outside of us, because of this utterly gracious thing that you have done, we belong. We're not strangers. We're not aliens. We're not imposters. We are the dwelling place of God. Teach us to believe what you say about us, that we might rest from all of our feelings of being an imposter and know that we are your children. Amen.